Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda White, Director of Institutional Content at Connexus Financial, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to visit investmentmagazine.com.au and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this episode. I'm joined today by Michelle Teng, who is Vice President in the Institutional Advisory and Solutions Group at PGM, the global investment management business of Prudential Financial. The IAS team conducts bespoke quantitative client research that focuses on strategic asset allocation and portfolio and asset class analysis across both public and private markets. Michelle has been working in the IAS group for three years and her portfolio research focuses on SAA with public and private assets. Welcome to you, Michelle. How are things? Hi, Amanda. Things are good. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about one of the big risks for CIOs in managing portfolios, and that is liquidity risk. Michelle, we're seeing more and more demand for private assets as investors search for alpha. I'm interested from your viewpoint, can you tell us a little bit about what the implications are for investors' portfolios of this increase in private assets? Yes, Amanda. As we observed, Globally, illiquid private assets continue to increase in popularity. The appeal of these assets is that they may have attractive risk-return properties and diversification potential, not available for investors who only limit themselves in the public markets. Also, investors are keen about private investments, as these days we see a lot of the up-and-coming companies tend to stay private longer without going public. However, these assets, they can complicate portfolio liquidity management. Say, when a portfolio commits to private equity funds, it is up to the general partners or GPs to decide when they call the capital and when they make distributions back to the LP investors. So this can create uncertainty around the timing and amount of cash flows of these PE investments. Now think about March 2020. A super fund in Australia may get a large GP capital call to capture the market opportunity. But in the meantime, the fund had much less inflows. And on top of that, the fund also experienced more member switching as members were moving their assets to low-risk funds during the volatile market environment. And they also had to mark to market their FX hedging positions. And you can imagine, Amanda, in this kind of situation, when private assets are in the mix, it makes portfolio liquidity management more difficult. Yeah, so that certainly makes sense that the liquidity profile of investors' portfolios is changing and, as you say, becoming more complicated. Why is liquidity management so important? What happens? Can you give us some examples of, you know, what happens when it's not well managed um, and, and, you know, what the implications might be? Yes, indeed. It is important to manage liquidity. But before CIOs can manage their liquidity, they need to measure their liquidity risk. And our emphasis is to bring this liquidity risk to the forefront to help them measure their liquidity risk 
before they can manage it. And you may ask me, Amanda, what do you mean by liquidity risk here? So it doesn't mean the CIO is going to immediately run out of money. A lot of these funds, they have sufficient liquidity to pay their bills in the next month. However, when we talk to these CIOs, a common concern expressed by them is a drawdown of liquid assets over a sustained period of time. Again, think about March of 2020. Funds experienced heavy liquidity demands that they were able to meet. However, these heavy liquidity demands continued well into April. At that point, CIOs started to have liquidity worries. Unfortunately, unexpected and heavy government intervention came to the rescue, and liquidity demands quickly tapered off after only a couple of months. But what would have happened if help didn't arrive for six months or longer? So traditionally, many of the asset allocators focus on volatility risk when they construct their portfolios. They try to keep their expected volatility below a certain threshold. But when we, what we want to emphasize is that volatility comes and goes. Generally, funds can survive these short-term volatility events. But what CIOs may not be able to recover from is liquidity drains. As I mentioned, these sustained liquid asset drawdowns may have permanent effect on their portfolios. And in addition, a portfolio's liquidity risk does not necessarily increase linearly with their allocations to illiquid assets. Say when they increase their PE allocation from 15 to 30%, which is doubled, the portfolio's liquidity risk is not simply doubled. There might be a tipping point beyond which their liquidity risk may suddenly jump much higher. So if liquidity is not managed properly, the CIO may end up in a situation that they are forced to sell illiquid assets with a big haircut to raise cash, or they may, they may have to sell assets that are hard to reacquire later. Yeah, so, I mean, that makes sense that the complication is, you, you know, certainly... Um, uh, magnified when you're managing a portfolio of both liquid public and illiquid private assets. So can you put into some concrete terms the exact challenges you see for CIOs when they're managing such a portfolio and how the presence of private assets really complicates things? What are, what are those real challenges for CIOs as you see it? Well, we believe the challenge for CIOs is to coordinate their top-down asset allocation with bottom-up private asset investing while they have a number of liquidity demands to meet. Let me explain a little bit more on this, what I mean by top-down and bottom-up. So as we know, Amanda, CIOs work with many different teams internally to manage their portfolios. You can imagine in the morning, the CIO might be meeting with the head of asset allocations who, make, who makes decisions at the portfolio level. And in the afternoon, the CIO may have a separate conversation with the head of private equity investing, who talks to the GPs, try to source deals, 
and makes their decisions on deal by deal basis. We can see these asset allocation groups and private asset investing teams make their decisions independently. But all these decisions have implications on the liquidity available at the fund level. So having said that, the portfolio's liquidity is a consequence of the interdependency of its independent decisions. And it is the CIO's challenge and responsibility to understand the interaction of these decisions and how they may affect the portfolio's overall liquidity risk over time. So you've been working with CIOs. I know you've been you know, actively talking to, to them about these issues. How do you think that they're currently grappling with, with these challenges? Would you say that overall CIOs are well-equipped to measure the liquidity risk profile of their portfolios? Are they fully understand it? Are they managing it? What's been your experience? It might be a little surprising to you, Amanda. A lot of CIOs lack of tools to manage to measure their liquidity risk over the investment horizon. But not surprisingly, interest in this issue is growing rapidly, especially after, after the market shock in March 2020. So some of the DB plans only forecast their liquidity for a very short period of time, say the next month or the next next quarter. What they need is a total portfolio view on liquidity risk over a multi-year horizon. And when we work with the CIOs, it's not uncommon for us to find that some of these plans, they have more liquidity than they need. Perhaps due to the experiences during the 08-09 global financial crisis, these CIOs realized having liquidity on hand is really important for their portfolios. Then they became super cautious about increasing allocations to the liquid assets. But what they may not realize is that there is a cost of having too much liquidity on hand. Unlike a fee, which is an explicit cost that everyone can see and calculate. This is an invisible opportunity cost. These CLs, they need a framework to measure how much excess liquidity they may have in their portfolios and maybe think about how to put it to work. That's um, super interesting, Michelle, that the, the liquidity risk management is as much about not having enough liquidity as it is about having too much liquidity. I think that's really, really super interesting. Um, and also the other the other important factor that you just mentioned is this multi-time frame, multi-horizon um, uh, timeframes. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, what are those timeframes and, and why do they differ? Okay, that's a great question, Amanda. So traditionally, uh, asset allocators look at mean variance optimization, say, that's a typical method we use. So basically, it's a one-period model. But as I mentioned, what the CIOs are really concerned about is how their portfolio's liquidity is going to go in the long term. They're managing a portfolio for 10 years or even longer. So what we try to do here is to try to focus on multi-period analysis. And we track the portfolio over time, and we track, we try to track um, 
cash flows from different asset classes and their implications for the overall portfolio. So you you mentioned you know just there that you're you've got some efforts underway to help clients with this. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing at IAS in terms of helping CIOs measure their portfolio liquidity? Yes. So at IAS, we developed an asset allocation framework called OASIS. This framework can help CIOs think through the consequences of changing their asset allocations between liquid and illiquid assets. This framework was developed over the course of many projects in the past three or four years, and it's still evolving. As we talk to more and more asset allocators, we try to address their particular liquidity risk measures and incorporate more types of illiquid assets as they're emerging. So can you talk us through the framework in a little bit more detail, Michelle, just in terms of what the key components are, how you're managing all of the moving parts? Yes, I said, you, you can imagine, Amanda, there are a lot of moving parts in this framework. But it's pretty easy to visualize if we remember the three key components. So first is a top-down asset allocation component. Here we look at the split between publics and privates and the split between stocks and bonds. Then the second component is the bottom-up private asset investing. What are the different types of private assets are in the portfolio and what commitment pacing strategy are the private asset teams trying to follow. And the last component is the liquidity demands. That can vary a lot from fund to fund. Here, I just want to talk uh, about a couple of them. So the first one, there are GP capital costs associated with this private investment, and they can happen at any time. And the second one, some of the corporate DB plans, they have a glide path that's conditional on the funding ratio. So as their funding ratio improves, the plan try to allocate more to LBI and less to growth assets, including their private assets. Then these plans need liquidity to manage that transition process moving along their glad path. And Oasis brings all these components together into an overall view of the trade-off between liquidity risk and performance. We can show for different levels of liquidity risk, what can be the portfolio's maximum expected performance. So can you talk us through exactly how that framework might help investors make better asset allocation decisions considering that top-down, bottom-up and liquidity components? We believe the real value of having this framework is that we can help these CIOs evaluate their portfolio's liquidity and performance and their different scenarios in a consistent way. And you may ask me, what do you mean by scenarios? So we know these CIOs, they're dealing with their current portfolios, but things may change in the future. They may change their capital market assumptions. They may have different expectations on the return and volatility for their stocks and bonds. And for private asset investing, they may change their commitment pacing strategy. For some of the corporate DB plans that I mentioned before, they want to commit less 
should they risk their plans going forward. So CIOs need to think about these what-ifs ahead of time, be better prepared for what might happen in the future. So let's let's run through some of those what-if scenarios. Um, what, are, what do you see that CIOs are interested in at the moment? What's on their minds? Um, I'm interested to know what they're thinking, but I'm also interested to know what you guys are thinking in terms of what they should be thinking about. So if you can sort of break that into two components, Michelle, like what are the what-if scenarios that you think that CIOs that you've worked with are thinking about? And then perhaps what are some of the things that you think that they should be paying more attention to that perhaps they haven't had the tools to consider in the past? Yes. So um, I'd like to share two cases from our recent work, both in the DC space and in the DB space. You know, for the DC plans or defined contribution plans, liquidity demands can arise from government actions, such as the early release scheme for super bonds in Australia. The government may allow for different levels of this early release, say 5%, 10%, or 20% of the overall assets. Then we are thinking about using our framework to help government and the industry to measure the cost of these different levels of this early release scheme so they can have a better sense about what the red level for these schemes are and where they want to be. And as another example, currently in the US, a lot of these corporate DB plans are nearly fully funded and they want to take advantage of this high funding ratio. They're considering a pension risk transfer or a PRT buyout transaction with insurance companies. That may cause an immediate increase of the allocation to illiquid assets in their DB portfolios. You may ask me why? because with these kind of transactions, they usually use some of the liquid assets to pay the premiums of these transactions. So after the transaction, they have a, a sudden surge of the illiquid assets in their portfolios. So this type of corporate actions create like liquidity demands beyond the CIO's control. And we can help these CIOs evaluate the potential impact of these PRT transactions. So our analysis provides objective quantitative information to remeasure liquidity risk under these what-if scenarios. If the CIO feels the liquidity risk is too high, we can rerun the analysis with the CIO's alternative portfolio allocations Eventually, we help them make more informed decisions about their portfolio allocation. Well, it sounds like it's a very useful tool for sure, Michelle. Have you, have, has anything surprised you as you've um, undertaken some of these analysis for, for CIOs? Have you, been, um, have you been surprised in your own analysis or um, is there anything in particular that you think is worth highlighting that perhaps CIOs wouldn't immediately know uh, without having gone through such an analysis? So among the three components, uh, there was a, a little bit of surprise to me that the most difficult part is to understand 
the liquidity demands from different CIOs, they vary a lot from fund to fund. And uh, the CIOs are quite different in terms of what they are particularly worried about. I'll give you an example. Some of the CIOs, they say they're really worried about going to their active public uh, team to say, we need to liquidate your active positions to pay liquidity demands. But some other CIOs, they're pretty cool about that. They feel comfortable to go to their, say, active fixed income team to say, we need, um, we need to liquidate some of your investments to pay some of the liquidity demands. So my takeaway is the CIOs vary the CIOs vary a lot in terms of how they see liquidity risks and what they are particularly worried about. And when we work with them, we had a lot of conversations going back and forth with them, trying to understand their concerns and develop particular liquidity risk measures to address their issues. So it seems we're in you know, an environment for sure where CIOs want to get more out of their portfolios and are changing the mix of liquid and illiquid assets. And the purpose of this framework is to help guide them as they construct their portfolios. And what you're describing is it's it's very um, individual, individual. So you can incorporate the CIOs and the funds, you know, individual liquidity needs and um, asset allocation uh, goals. And so, you know, if a portfolio goes from 15 to 25 or 30% of private assets. You can look at how that decision impacts the liquidity of the fund. You can look at what the potential new liquidity risks that might be introduced into the portfolio by making such an asset allocation shift. And your framework, Michelle, helps guide CIOs as they evaluate their portfolio allocation decisions by identifying the boundary where liquidity risk might become a problem for a fund. Now a CIO can have more confidence in their decision-making, which I think is a fantastic overall aim. So, Michelle, thank you for sharing that with us and talking us through that framework. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Amanda. It's my pleasure to be here.